Well, good morning, church. It's a beautiful day out. It's a great day to, to be here uh, all together and worship our Lord. So please, why don't you stand and sing with us. 
treasures of our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Thou burning sun with golden beam. Thou silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 Let all things, let all things their Creator bless. Worship Him in humbleness, and oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And all the redeemed washed by his blood. Come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Christ has defeated. Every sin, amen. Cast all your burdens now on him. Oh, praise him, church. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, with one voice we sing, and oh, praise Him. And hallelujah. Then who shall fall on bended knee? And all creatures of our God and King, and oh, praise that again. There we go. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship. I want to welcome you to our service this morning. Glad that you are here and uh, trust that the Lord will really minister to your heart this day. While you're standing, why don't you take a minute and greet those who are around you.
If you would, go ahead and find your chair and take a seat. Again, it's good to see you here this morning. A special welcome if you are worshiping with us, maybe for the first time today. We're glad that you are here. And if you are worshiping with us for the first time today, you actually came on a really good Sunday. So good job. Uh, this is a, a bit of a celebration Sunday for us here at GCF. So that would explain the uh, van full of donuts in our parking lot. Uh, we don't typically have donuts, but thanks, Kelly, for picking those up. Uh, you might wonder, what are we celebrating today? Well, we are uh, really celebrating a one-year anniversary of being in this building as a church, and so we're thankful to God for that. Here, here's what we're not celebrating. We're, we're not actually celebrating the building. We are thankful for this building. It is a gift of God's grace. Uh, it, it, every time we walk, I was just wandering around this building. I tend to do that throughout the week. So I was just wandering around this building a little bit this week and being in here, and it's like, Lord, this is, this is a great spot. Like, we have chairs. We have lights. We have sound. Like, that's, thank you, Lord. And then I wandered upstairs, and we have, we have, we have offices. We got this really cool photocopier. It's really great. There are so many things. You kind of walk around this building and think, Lord, that, that's pretty cool. But... We're not, we're not really celebrating any of that. What we're really celebrating, so every time we kind of walk around this building, what we really want to say is, what a great God. What a great God. In his kindness to us, he's given us an outpost for gospel ministry here in Spokane Valley. So, so yes, there will be donuts. I've had several kids actually come up to you and say, where are the donuts? <laughs> they are here, but you're going to have to put in your time. Uh, so we will have those donuts after the service, Fellowship Hall. We hope you can stick around and just enjoy. Uh, one of the things we're going to do this morning is just highlight a little bit of God's grace to us as a family, as a church family over this past year. And so uh, one of the specific ways we're going to do that, you're going to hear just a couple of testimonies this morning, uh, one now and then one a little bit later in our service uh, of, of that, of God's grace uh, in just specific areas in their lives. So I want to invite Noah Raver to come on up at this point. There he is. Uh, Noah is a fairly new member here at GCF. If you don't know Noah, I want to encourage you to get to know him. Uh, he's been a great blessing uh, here. Yeah, grab that mic. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I want you just to hear a little bit about his story and about how God has ministered to him, especially in this last year. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, it's unmuted. Great. Uh, yeah, so as he said, uh, my, my name is Noah Raver. Hi, nice to meet you guys. I'd love to talk to you afterwards and meet every single one of you because you guys are awesome. Um, I just came in October, um, so fairly new member, and GCF has just been uh, sort of, it's been a years in the making that I'm even here. Um, so I didn't grow up here uh, in this church. I grew up in Spokane, but uh, out of high school, I knew I wanted to go to French-speaking Bible school somewhere. It was GCF, actually. Some members at the North Campus, because uh, the Valley Campus didn't exist yet, um, some elders there that told me about the Brussels Bible Institute, which we support as a church. And um, it was really because of that that I went. Uh, I applied. They accepted. And then uh, four years later, here I am, uh, and obviously stayed in contact with GCF uh, throughout that, came back in the summers, visited North Campus uh, often. And then when Dave, head pastor of GCF, came over to Belgium, I got to live interpret for him. He came to visit this school because they support, and I got to literally interpret and translate French for him right there. It was so cool. So it's been kind of years in the making, um, and then four years after um, my Bible school there, I wanted to stay, and 
just visa complications didn't, uh, didn't allow me to stay. So came back here in October and saw that the Valley Campus is now a thing because uh, it never was. And I remember talking to Dave when it was an idea. And so as much as we're not celebrating the building, it is still exciting, isn't it? Like I'm, I, I found out, I was like, whoa, it's in the Valley. So I, I uh, made the switch to GCF and it's just been fantastic. Um, God has been really, really showing up in my life, teaching me so many things. It's been hard to be back. It wasn't my choice. But he's been teaching me patience, giving me a community, a family, home groups, um, unlike I've ever had before. Uh, and so God's been showing up in that and teaching me patience. Uh, and so I'm very, very thankful that we are here in the Valley and that GCF is serving God in such incredible ways. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. Get okay, up here. So, Noah, we're, we're glad that you're here and uh, in this season of life and, and trust in the Lord. I really appreciate what you just had to say there, too, about uh, this wouldn't necessarily be your first choice, uh, but yet in obedience to the Lord, following him faithfully, and uh, he's got you here, and we'll take you for as long as you can be here and trust the Lord for that. But let me pray for, for you. Father, thank you so much for Noah. I thank you, Lord, for giving him grace, uh, particularly over these last few years. Lord, thank you for conversations years ago that he couldn't know and that we couldn't know that you were, you were doing something good in his life, orchestrating circumstances, directing him, sovereignly being in control, putting people and places uh, in his path. Uh, and so I thank you, Lord, for this season of his life. Thank you for the joy we have of being able to do life together. Thank you for the joy we have of uh, being able to watch Noah grow and mature in you. And so I pray, Lord, your every blessing on him now and in the future. And uh, we give you all the praise for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we uh, have our call to worship now? This is Palm Sunday. And so our call to worship is from... Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let's continue to worship him this morning.
brought death and rose up from the grave. Not so must sing to you an offering how great you are my soul must sing oh let the heavens ring how great you are oh how great you are dark king the blast resounding to claim his blood washed bright will rend the skies descend again his glory and in an instant faith will turn to size sing it out church my soul must sing to you an offering how great you are my soul must sing let the heavens ring how great you are my soul my soul must sing to you an offering how great you are my soul must sing let the heavens ring how great you are lord how great you are
Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Praise with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. I'll sing that one more time, church. He will hold. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. I cast my mind to Calvary. Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. My Savior on that cursed tree. His body drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone and oh praise the of the Lord our God, oh praise His name forevermore, for endless days we will sing Your praise, oh Lord, oh Lord our God. Then on the of hell. 
shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will ride among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' Let's sing it out, church. Oh, praise. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. We will sing your praise. Oh, oh Lord our God. seated. Well, one of our regular patterns is to gather with one another in prayer. And so uh, for those who are regular, you uh, know what we're doing here. But for those who have not been uh, gathering with us for a while, uh, there are some regular patterns that are maybe strange. And so one of the things we like to pray over are just some of the, the core theological convictions that we have, the things that we feel called to. And we also pray just for gospel unity with other churches uh, in Spokane. So you'll hear us praying for different churches, and these are churches that are part of a group, a pastor's group, that share theological convictions around the gospel. And so there are many things we disagree about, but we recognize the call to unity uh, for the gospel is strong enough to say we are partnered in the gospel. So those are the people you hear us pray for. We also pray for uh, churches and missionaries we support. So we're primarily supporting uh, church plants. And so you'll hear us pray for those. And those are ones we um, have felt the calling to invest in those churches financially, so to support them in ministry, to visit them at times, and to encourage one another. And so those are the things that we pray for on a regular basis. So this morning, let's do gather and pray for these things together. Father God, we come before you this morning, even humbled by the goodness of your grace, as we even hear our call to worship, being called to worship as you were humbled to enter in and deal with sin with us. The richness and the gloriousness of the gospel is often lost upon us. 
and all that it means for us as we gather for worship. Lord, we pray, even as we have decided that we want to be primarily focused around the gospel, that our worship would edify the saints, those who walk in, those who are visiting, and proclaim the gospel very clearly. Lord, we pray, as the Apostle Paul mentioned in Galatians, that we would not proclaim another gospel, that we would not turn away from the gospel, that we would not shy away from the gospel, but we would recognize the depth of our sin, the goodness of your grace to enter in, and the fullness that that grace means upon our lives for those who confess. Lord, I pray that that would be clear, that that would be evident for us uh, in our practice, in the lives of our members, in the lives of the leadership, uh, in the words that we speak, the scriptures that we bring forward, the songs that we sing. Lord, keep us faithful. Help us to see these things. Help us to be humble under your word, to listen to your word, and to be shaped by it. Lord, we do pray this morning for our brothers at Green Acres Baptist with Kenny Lydeck, and we do pray just over that church. We, we pray that you would continue to work through Kenny as he preaches the gospel. We pray that there would be encouragement for him in all the work that you've called him to there. We pray that, Lord, the things that he sees as barriers spiritually and the people he's ministering to, Lord, that you would give him patience, peace, and he would be able to turn and rest upon you and to preach your word faithfully, to minister faithfully there. So, Lord, we do lift him up this morning before you. Lord, we also do lift up Brent and Katie Webster down in Oakland as a church that we support. Lord, uh, we are so thankful for men and women who feel called to minister into regions like that that are... Uh, very post-Christian in many senses, that they have uh, oftentimes no need of a God, of a Savior, and yet Brent and Katie feel the call to minister there, Lord. And so we pray that you would indeed, as they continue in that work, continue to shape that church, to form that church, Lord, to work in ways that uh, oftentimes we, in our we the weakness of our faith, are willing to abandon far too early. So, Lord, we do pray that you would indeed create a unity around the gospel in a city that is probably very divided, in a congregation that probably feels very divided on many, many issues. So, Lord, we do lift them up this morning. Pray for courage to do this work. We pray for encouragement. We pray for peace over that congregation. And we do pray for a sense of joy for them this morning. Lord, we pray for our North Campus, for our Central Campus as they labor to preach the word, to worship you, to live in community and fellowship with the saints at those congregations. We pray that, Lord, you would continue to shape and form those churches as new people come, as dearly loved saints leave. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be faithful in those places. Give us wisdom there. Lord, I do pray just over Pastor Jeff this morning as he has labored to prepare for the preaching of the word. Lord, we do pray over his work that there would be clarity in his mind around what you would have him say. Lord, we pray that the gospel would be clearly proclaimed, that there would be sin that would be confronted and dealt with, that there would be encouragement to saints in need, uh, and Lord, that there would be hearts that are drawn more in love with you this morning to turn away from our flesh, to turn away from our lives which reject you and turn towards you. Lord, we rejoice in the goodness of who you are 
and all that we have in Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Paul. Well, I want to invite uh, Brett and Stephanie Burdick, if you would come up at this point. And uh, we get the privilege of hearing a little bit uh, more from them of uh, how the Lord has worked in their lives, particularly in this past year, really in the process of uh, adoption and adopting little Maylie. And so uh, you want to just grab that mic there, if you would, Brett. So come on up here. And uh, again, we're grateful that you guys are part of our church. You've really been with us from the beginning of the valley here. And, uh, and I know that there's been a lot going on in your life in the, over the last year or so and beyond that. Uh, can you just share a little bit of what maybe got you interested in, in foster care to begin with? Um, yeah, so when Seth and I first met, she was always talking about foster care, and that was like a, a burden that she felt on her heart. And um, for a long time, I kind of looked at it like, you know, exercise or cleaning the garage, you know, where it's a nice thing to to do someday, but just not today. <laughs> and, um, so she uh, really throughout our whole marriage has just kind of been on her mind. And um, about five years ago, we got close to doing it. We signed up for the classes and took a couple of them and just uh, kind of got a little bit overwhelmed, like, wow, this is going to be a big commitment and a big impact. So we kind of backed off selfishly and just were trying to kind of keep control over our whole situation and all that. And um, kind of kept trucking along and then started talking about it some more and um, really we hadn't been around anybody that ever been involved with it or any part of it and got to meet Dave and Kelly and um, it was just really nice to be able to talk to someone that had you know walked that road and been around it and um, you know Dave turned out I don't know him before foster care or nothing but he seems pretty normal today so I figured we could probably <laughs> or close close to it at least but um, so that just was an encouragement to you know it's not gonna be the end of the world if we sign off on that so um, went ahead and got got licensed and um, got mainly in the house and that's kind of how yeah. it all came to be so we went into this just completely looking to do foster short-term you know, we, we weren't looking to adopt. We told them we don't want to adopt. We're just, this is, you know, we're still in control here. We just want to help out a little bit. And that changed really quickly. So now <laughs> so, you have. And, and now, Are yeah. you also exercising? No, no, we're putting that off still. Don't worry so. about it. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Uh, well, t- tell us maybe a little bit of just that whole process then and how y- your heart's warm to adoption, certainly, and with Maylie in, in specific. What, what has that been like over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think Stephanie wants to. Yeah. Do I? <laughs> I want to. <laughs> um, gosh, foster care is kind of hard, guys. Um, it's a lot of everything, right? So there's just the growth we've seen in our own family, our boys to come around Maylee and love her so well, and the joy that she's been. Um, there's so much happiness and so much laughter, but really they drop someone off at your house who... Um, has been a couple places before already, unfortunately. And um, she had no interest in us whatsoever, right? She would literally put her arm out and wouldn't let us hold her. She would, just for months. Um, So a lot of prayer around that. Our home group standing by us, and I'm gonna cry, I'm sorry. And um, I don't think we could have done any of that without you guys, thank you. (laughs) And um, so the joy, the laughter, all the coming together, feeling God walk with you, all those late nights rocking and praying for her. But 
Um, gosh, there's really sad, hard stuff, too. Um, with our sweet kiddo came from a wonderful biological family who we're so blessed to know a few of them and um, have gotten to grow in a relationship with them. Um, but it's a hard thing to have front row seats to a family coming apart um, and together at the same time. It's, it's um, been hard and a huge blessing all at the same mm -hmm. time. <laughs> so what, in the midst of that, there's, like you said, it's, it's hard, there's challenges, things, surprises, <laughs> uh, and, and joys as well. But as you kind of consider that, what, what, have, what, what, what have you learned about maybe the Lord? What have you learned about him? What have you learned about yourselves in this, in this process? We probably have different answers. So I learned that I have deep control issues, <laughs> that I want to be the boss. And um, gosh, actually, this is so much. At some point, you're like, thank god I'm not in control, because who can make decisions like that? Mm -hmm. um, we should pray for anybody who's in a spot where they are the ones making decisions. But having your ducks align and how you feel about God's sovereignty <laughs> would be a really good idea before you enter into a situation um, that is so broken and so torn. And that is the only place uh, that your heart can rest is on God just showing you and reminding you continuously in the happy giggles and the finally coming around to snuggles of his goodness and his character, um, just his mercy for us. And thank God for his sovereignty because... That is the only place your heart can rest. Also, shout out to Kelly. You didn't know this was about you, right? She told me once at the beginning that um, God's sovereignty is our sanity. And um, I remembered that so many times and so many nights. That's true. There was no other way. So. I guess for me, it really just kind of I started out just super convicted that you know, my life really revolved around you know, my house, my kids, my family, my job. You know, we, really was super self-centered and didn't really realize it. Um, and by giving up a little bit of that control to, you know, and really just putting your, your life in somebody else's hands, the state's got, you know, pretty much keys to your house whenever they want to come check things out, they can. Um, but I guess just my selfishness, you know, I like, it was kind of having these little pity parties, you know, sitting there in the middle of the night making bottles, changing diapers, and I got to work in the morning and I'm just like, you know, why this is, you know, what a drag, and be, 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 but, but, but I'd be praying about it, and, um, you know, saying, God, this is, you know, what a pain, and then just, but it just put on my heart the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, it's like, this is a non-issue, I shouldn't even be complaining about this mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and just really convicted me that, you know, there's a huge price that's been paid in my behalf, and this little bit of work that we're doing here is just nothing, you know, so. Yeah. I know there's a tons more. You might have questions for these folks, so now you know who they are and, and just to ask. But more than that, we want to be praying for you. Um, and, and one of the things I so appreciate is I've gotten to know you guys a little bit, and just hearing a little bit of that, it's just your huge hearts for people, families in need. And, and that's, that's the exhortation for all of us, that maybe the place to begin is just to pray, Lord, I, I want that kind of big heart. I want a deeper heart, a wider heart for people around me who are in need. It doesn't mean that all of us are called to adopt. It doesn't mean that all of us are called to foster care. But we do have some role in that, whether to pray, to support, to encourage uh, through, maybe it is through foster care, 
uh, through organizations like Safe Families. You've heard me speak a little bit about that. We've got some folks here involved in that. would love to tell you more about that. It's a, it's a practical way to, to really love people in need and love families in need. And maybe it just even begins with just noticing more the people around you this week. So maybe that's a place to start for all of us, just, just to notice, to be more aware of the people around us. So with that, let me pray for you folks, and, and really it's a group prayer for all of us here that the Lord would really do a work uh, in our lives as well. Father, thank you so much for uh, Brett and Stephanie. Lord, thank you for their family. Thank you for the boys. Thank you for Maylee. God, thank you for being sovereign in their lives, for working for your glory and their good. Give them much grace, Lord, uh, in, in what will still be some hard times and hard days. God, thank you for, thank you that, that Brett and Stephanie know you and that they belong to you. Thank you for giving them such big hearts to care and to love sacrificially when it, especially when it hurts. And God, I pray that that would be replicated. I, I want that kind of heart. And I pray that for our church here, that we would be a people who, who are seeking to have bigger, wider, deeper hearts for those around us, those in need. And Lord, that we'd be willing to take a risk, just as the Burdicks have. We'd be willing to step out in faith. So give us that joy, give us that encouragement, Lord. We'll entrust this family to you. Help us to know how we can practically, Lord, uh, walk with them and care for them. And Lord, thank you for the good that you're going to do, the good that you've already done in Maley's heart. I pray for this sweet, sweet girl. I pray that one day, Lord, that, that, you would, that you would bring her to salvation, that she would know you and love you with her whole heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, now I'm crying. Thank you. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark as we continue here in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 3, verses 10 through 20, uh, sorry, no, verses 20 through 30. I was just making sure you're paying attention. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30. This morning, as you're turning there, just a reminder, uh, Good Friday service this Friday, 6 p.m. right here. And Easter Sunday, next Sunday morning, 10 a.m., uh, and I want to encourage you to come. I hope to see you there. You can invite friends, family members, neighbors. Uh, I believe we still have some of those flyers out uh, in the welcome table there, so please avail yourselves of those. And be in prayer, more than anything, be in prayer, not just for you and your family, but for those around you this week as well. Let's pray that the Lord would really do a good work. Amen? That was weak. Amen? All right, go ahead, and if you're able to, please stand as I read God's Word. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 20. Then he, that is Jesus, then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, well, that kingdom cannot stand. 
And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Let me pray as we jump into this text. Our Father, in help, our Father in heaven, help us once again as we now turn our attention to your word, as we turn our hearts to you. We need you, Lord. We need you in this very moment, not because this is the right kind of prayer to pray at the beginning of a sermon, but because we actually really do need you, Lord. I need your help to speak clearly and humbly and with spiritual power. And my brothers and sisters here need your help as well to listen, to learn, to grow in grace. So teach us exactly what we need to hear in these moments that we have together this morning, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Celebrate good times. Come on. We're going to celebrate and have a good time. So goes the chorus of Cool and the Gang's hit song from 1980. And if you're wondering what's 1980 and who's Cool and the Gang, you are really missing out on a, on a big important piece of Americana. American history, and I'm not even American, and I can say that. But nothing says celebrate and have a good time, quite like a sermon here on why the family of Jesus thought he was out of his mind, and why or whether you may have committed the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Celebrate. Come on. Yet here we are in Mark chapter now, this ought to be further proof for you all to know that I don't just willy-nilly pick sermon texts to preach on from week in and week out. It, this isn't about me being on a soapbox. This isn't about uh, me just only preaching texts that I really want to preach, texts that will preach well, uh, especially for an anniversary Sunday like this. No, what we do here at GCF, as many of you know, uh, we have a steady diet of God's Word, and in fact, we need a steady diet. The whole counsel of the Word of God, even the really, really hard texts, the ones that we read and we think, I don't know that there's anything good in there. There doesn't seem to be anything good in there. Is there anything good in there? So typically, we preach uh, through whole books of the Bible here at Grace Christian Fellowship. And so if you're wondering or if you're wanting to know what next week's sermon will be about, I just want to encourage you to keep reading here in the Gospel of Mark because the next passage will be the next sermon, except for next week. 
because it's Easter, and so you're going to get a topical message next week on Easter Sunday, and if you really love topical messages, well, you're going to get one on Good Friday as well, uh, so you can uh, be happy about that. Our text here in Mark chapter 3, though, does not scream celebration for Jesus, does it? In, in fact, it's the opposite. It screams crisis. There are, in fact, two of them. In this first scene, or first crisis, Jesus' own family thinks that he may be out of his mind. He might be crazy. In the second scene, Jesus' enemies think that he's demon-possessed, and he's actually doing the work of Satan. So as we consider, again, the work, the life, the ministry of Jesus, as Mark presents him here, seems like we only have two options. Jesus is either mad or he's bad, or maybe some combination of both. And neither of those are good options, are they? If Jesus is mad, why would we want to worship him? And if he's just bad, demonically bad, would any of you say, that's the kind of God I would love to serve? That's the kind of God I would entrust my heart to? So we need to hang in here long enough this morning, church, to actually see that Jesus is neither insanely mad or demonically bad. There is, in fact, a third option that is actually a glorious option and a glorious truth for people like us. So as we read these two scenes, I want you to think about it as, as if you are maybe watching a split screen on your television. I think most of us know what that's like. If you're watching, maybe it's a, a sporting event. Uh, you're watching the same event, but two separate contexts, two separate but related events at the same time. If you're a golf fan, perhaps you're watching the Masters this last week. It'd be like watching on the left side of your screen uh, a guy who's, who's putting on the fourth uh, hole, but on the right side of your screen, same, they're, they're both golfers, you got a guy who's driving off the tee on the 18th green. Here Mark presents us with two separate but related scenes, related crises here in the life of Jesus. And perhaps if you find yourself this morning in some bit of trouble, or maybe as you think about just this last week of your life, you have been putting out one fire after the next and perhaps starting a few more. Or maybe it's just that the people around you don't understand you. And you feel perhaps maligned, maybe even ridiculed, or just like you're trying to navigate through that. I don't know that anybody really understands me. Does anybody really get me? Well, you have an ally in Jesus. So let's look at that first scene. This is the left side of our screen. This is verses 20 and 21. Then he, Jesus, went, ho went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, this first scene is shockingly real. It's really shockingly honest. This is actually the first mention of the family of Jesus here in the Gospel of Mark, and it doesn't really reflect well on them. I mean, the family of Jesus, I think, would want a do-over at this point. Now, we're going to learn more about the family of Jesus later on in Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 3 in particular. There we learn that 
The family of Jesus consisted of Mary, his mother. He's got two sisters, four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. There's no mention of Joseph, father of Jesus, so it's presumed likely that he had already died at this point. But the family of Jesus hears that, well, Jesus is in some bit of trouble. Jesus is under pressure. The demands of his life and of his ministry, the the crowds pressing in, constantly not giving him a as we would think about it, just a moment of peace and quiet. They're following him to Capernaum where he lives. They're making it impossible for Jesus to to care for his physical needs. In this case, it's almost impossible for Jesus to even eat. So what happens here, what we read here as Mark describes it, is really a first century version of an intervention. This is a family intervention. It's as if the family of Jesus says, look, he doesn't appear to be concerned about it. If he keeps this up, it's not going to go well for him. He's not going to do anything. We need to do something about it. We need to do something about him. Familiar words spoken in many families, in fact, then and now. And so what does the family of Jesus do? Well, they take matters into their own hands. They travel from Nazareth to Capernaum, which is where Jesus was, that was a distance of about 20 miles. Now, again, you you and I may not think much about 20 miles. We get in the car, that takes about 20 minutes. If there's traffic, it takes a little bit longer. No big deal. We do that every single day. But this is walking 20 miles in the dirt. And so this family, the family of Jesus, walks 20 miles in the dirt. Why? Verse 21. To seize Jesus. The people who know Jesus best, his family, people that presumably care about Jesus the most, the the people that have got his back, they walk 20 miles in the dirt not to have a polite conversation with him. It's not like those brothers said, you know what, Jesus, you you look tired. Maybe time to de-stress. Maybe take a few days off. Why don't you head to the lake for a little R&R? They didn't travel that great distance on foot, so Mary, his mother, could probably do what most moms would do in that situation. She'd probably take one look at Jesus, kind of poke him in the stomach and say, who's feeding you? You need to eat more. You need more food. They didn't do that. The family of Jesus walked 20 miles in the dirt to seize him. And that Greek word there, seizing him, it means to, to arrest him. To, to forcibly remove him from the scene, to, to take possession. So his own family, hearing that he didn't even have time to basically eat anymore, they travel 20 miles with the intention of removing Jesus from Capernaum, to bring him back to Nazareth, ideally to do that under the radar where nobody would notice. And the reason why they do that, again, verse 21, because he's out of his mind. He's He's crazy. He's mentally unstable. He's on the verge of a mental breakdown, or perhaps worse yet, it's it's already happened. Now we I think we read that and we think, well, you know, we wouldn't fault the family of Jesus. We certainly wouldn't fault them for caring. I mean, no doubt they loved Jesus. They were honestly seeking to help, honestly seeking to protect him, but These sorts of layered family interactions get complicated really quickly, don't they? 
because we're dealing with human beings. And we human beings have all kinds of motives operating at the same time, all at once. We hardly ever just have one motive. We're mixed bags, all of us. We're, we have mixed motives. So perhaps some in the family of Jesus just viewed him as a danger to himself, so he needs to be stopped. We do know that some of the brothers here thought that Jesus was a religious fanatic. He, he, he was too radical, and they didn't even believe in him, according to John chapter 7, verse 5. So Jesus, look, it, it's okay to be devout. It's okay to be sincere. But, but Jesus, just consider what you're doing. You're staying up all night to pray. You're, you're healing sick people. You're casting out demons. You're preaching repentance. You're, you're attracting all kinds of attention and not all of it very good. Jesus, that doesn't appear to be the work of a very balanced man. That doesn't appear to be the work of someone who's centered, who's grounded, who's normal. We certainly couldn't fault the family if at this point they were looking at Jesus and just thinking, you know what, if this keeps up, he's going to make life really hard for us. It's going to ruin the family name. It's going to be hard to do business. It's going to be hard to walk around. Everybody's going to look at us and say, you're, you're related to, to that Jesus? So he needs to be stopped. He, he can't really make decisions on his own anymore. Now, again, the, the family of Jesus here, they're, they're not willfully disobedient, sincere, well-meaning in their efforts, but they didn't get it. They didn't get him. They didn't understand, really, who Jesus was and what he was called to do. So this family of Jesus walked 20 miles in the dirt, and they still got it wrong, and they still were wrong about, about him. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's the real crisis here in this first scene. It's not that Jesus faced opposition. We, we know that. We've seen that in the book of Mark. And as we continue here in our studies, the closer that Jesus gets to the cross, the more the opposition, the, the fires are inflamed. So it's not just that he faced opposition. The real crisis is that people who spent a lot of time with Jesus people who actually liked Jesus, people that I think wanted the best for Jesus, didn't fully commit to him. And they didn't really understand what he was all about. And so what Mark is, is telling us here is that you and I, people like us, can be really, really close to Jesus and, and still be on the outside. We can be really close to Jesus but still not get it and still not get him and understand him and his mission. You can even be a blood relative of Jesus and still be on the outside of his mission and of his ministry. And so there is a, there's a, there's a warning here for us, isn't there? This is actually pretty sobering. I mean, here we are at the beginning of, of Holy Week, Palm Sunday here. I hope you do come to the Good Friday service. I, I hope you come on Easter Sunday, but you can come to the Good Friday service, you can show up on Easter Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that and still not get him. And still nothing in your life changes. And still be an outsider to the gospel, to the grace and mercy of Christ. 
And therein lies the, the warning for us. And, and we need to heed this warning and to take this seriously. Friends, you, you can grow up in church. You can have the benefit, the blessings of Christian parents who love you and provided for you. And you can attend church regularly and you can be baptized. You can go through a new members class and you can give and serve and, and still be on the outside. But think that you're in. So Mark is asking us this morning, he's asking us to make up our mind, to make up our mind about Jesus, to honestly consider where we stand this morning with Jesus. If he's mad, off his rocker, unstable, crazy, then to follow him as his disciple, then to push all your chips in on somebody who's clearly insane, well, that would in effect, make you crazy. That would be foolish. Why would you do that? But if Jesus is who Mark claims that he is, if Jesus really is who he has claimed to be, if Jesus is the Son of the living God, the true King, the Messiah sent from God the Father to rescue, to bring salvation to people who are in the dominion of darkness and to place them in his kingdom of light and love, if that's who we're dealing with here, than to sincerely disbelieve, that would be a tragedy. To turn your back on that Jesus, that would be crazy. That would be crazy. So we need to wrestle this morning, church, with what is crazy and what is not. If Jesus is who he says he is, the Christ, then the sanest thing in the world to do is to follow him faithfully as his disciple. The, the sanest thing in the world would be to live a holy life, forsaking earthly appetites and sinful desires. The, the sanest thing in the world would be to forgive quickly those who sin against you. Why? Because you know how much you have been forgiven by God in Christ. I mean, if Jesus is the true king, no, he's not mad or demonically bad, but if he really is who he says he is, then the sanest thing in the world is, is to love the people around you sacrificially. Yes, especially when it hurts. It's to ask the Lord for a really, really big, huge, bigger heart maybe for the people around you because you know that, you know how frustrated you can get. You know how hard it is when you're dealing with sinful and messy people, and by the way, it's not just you dealing with sinful, messy people. You're sinful and messy as well, just as I am. That's not crazy to love others sacrificially. It's not crazy to be the only student in your high school who doesn't laugh at the same jokes and doesn't watch the same movies. It's not crazy to, to honor your boss by working hard and being a blessing in your workplace and showing kindness and courtesy to colleagues who don't deserve it. That's actually what grace means. It's undeserved. That's not crazy. I mean, if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the true King, then the sanest thing in the world, the sanest thing in the world would be to hold nothing back from him. Not even your most treasured and precious possession, which is your heart. 
your heart. Don't hold it back from him. The sanest thing a person can do is to love Jesus and to follow him faithfully because he is the true king, because he is who he said he really was. In fact, if you believe in this Jesus this morning, this Christ, then then to give your heart, to give your life, to put your faith, your hope in something or someone else, well, that actually would be crazy. That would be crazy. So are you sane or are you crazy this morning? That's scene one. Scene two of our split screen now shifts to, well, the right side of our TV. It's verses 23 through 30. Let me read that. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons. He casts out demons and he called them to him and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, well, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against itself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, you just heard me read that, and you're thinking, okay, there's a whole lot there about demons and plundering goods and binding the strong man. Oh, yeah, there's a little bit in there about this whole business of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, that it doesn't appear to go well for any of us, can I just get a donut and leave? I get it. Jesus has once again attracted the attention. Actually, he's never really lost the attention of These scribes, these scribes were very bright, impressive guys, religiously tuned guys. The scribes were were professors, they were lawyers, they were PhDs, they were community activists, all wrapped into one. So if you met a scribe, you would say, that is an impressive guy. He's got a lot going for him. And all these scribes, they come down from Jerusalem with a message for Jesus. And it's actually not a message, it's more of an accusation. In fact, it's two accusations. Accusation number one, Jesus, you're possessed by the devil. Beelzebul here being the lord of the evil spirits. Accusation number two, by the prince of demons, really, by the power of the devil, Jesus, you're casting out demons. So Jesus was, according to them, fighting for Satan. He was on Satan's team. They, in fact, thought he was the son of Satan. So again, Jesus' family, they didn't understand him. They, they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was mad. These scribes, very smart religious guys, his enemies, they think he's bad, like demonically bad. And so I think at this point in the story, as we read this, we want to be very careful, brothers and sisters, not to commit a sort of chronological snobbery. And what I mean by that is this. It'd be really easy and tempting to, to kind of look and say, you know what, I mean, 
these people, they didn't even have flush toilets back then. How smart could they be? Of course, they're going to get it wrong. But we are so much more refined. We're so much more sophisticated. We do have flush toilets. We, we wouldn't, if we were alive back then, we wouldn't be like Jesus' family. We wouldn't say that he's mad. We certainly wouldn't be like these scribes, would we? We wouldn't look at Jesus and his work and say, oh, that's, not, that's the devil. That is, that is the... Aren't we so much smarter than they were? I don't know, but 50 years from now, or maybe it's 100 years from now, when historians scroll through our millions of Instagram photos and our mountains of TikTok videos, what do you think they're going to say about us? Wow. And that might be all they say. Just wow. Do you think they're actually going to say that is some of the most sophisticated people I've ever been around? Those people are incredibly enlightened. Look at what they can do. So I think we want to read this, brothers and sisters, with appropriate humility. We read this and we think, that is preposterous. Like both of the accusations here from the scribe, it's illogical. It's really absurd. We get that. They can't deny who Jesus is. They can't deny his power, that he's performing miracles. It's evident to everybody. So really, these scribes do the only thing that they can do. They're saying, well, okay, he's got power, but that power clearly can't come from God. That has to come from Satan. It's the only explanation. Though there are many reasons to love Jesus as we see him in the Scriptures here, particularly in this account here in Mark. I don't know how you would feel at this point if your own family attempted to arrest you, throw you in the back of the family van, or if your detractors looked at you and said, no, you are the devil. person in the cubicle next to you says good morning and says good morning, you're the devil. I mean, most of us would not be so keen on engaging with them, would we? We wouldn't have the time and place. But Jesus here is, well, he's not like us. He's not afraid. He's not threatened. Nor does he shrink back from really declaring the truth. So it's as if he says, look, scribes, okay, you've I'm going to follow your breadcrumbs here. Let's just use your logic, shall we? And let's just see where this road goes. And so beginning in verse 23, Jesus makes what, at least as we read it, seems to be a pretty apparent observation. Why or how? Why would Satan act against himself? Just think about that, scribes. Why? I mean, if what the scribes are saying is true... Jesus is son of Satan. Jesus is fighting for Satan. Well, Satan's then destroying himself. That doesn't seem to make sense. And that's why Jesus, again, states the obvious, verses 24 and 25. Division in the ranks, well, that'll ultimately lead the whole institution to fail. It's going gonna, it's gonna to collapse. And you can pick your context here, friends. A division in marriage, division in family, division in a church, division in a uh, sports team, business, whatever it may be, the same truth remains. If you're fighting against each other, if there's split or there's divisions, well, the whole thing is going to collapse at some point. And so Jesus here could really could not be any clearer with the facts, verse 26, if Satan rebels against himself. Well, then he's divided. He's split. He, he cannot stand and is finished. Airtight logic from Jesus, we would expect nothing less. But the scribes didn't quite get it yet, did they? That kind of reasoning still didn't 
resonate with them precisely because the, the root problem here, the scribes, was not a problem of logic. It was a hardness in their hearts. It was a hardness in their hearts that made them blind to the truth and deaf to the facts. It made them blind and deaf to the fact that Jesus, the true king, was standing right in front of their face. It seems like the scribes at this point are, are kind of like the, maybe the person, maybe it's the young person, but it could be anyone, who, who is just convinced that two plus two equals five. I know it does. My mind is made up. Don't try to confuse me with the facts. I don't want to hear the facts or I don't want to hear the truth. Two plus two does not equal four. It equals five, and I'm convinced of that. It's really hard to have a civil conversation with somebody like that, isn't it? Jesus here gives these scribes, not just who are hard of hearing, that wasn't their issue. They were hard in their hearts. Well, he gives them both the truth and the facts. The facts, verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. So here's the word picture that Jesus gives. Satan here is the strong man, and his goods, some of translations, perhaps one that you have, say possessions, his goods or possessions are, are people, are the, the victims that he holds in spiritual bondage through his demons, and Satan has all the demons that he needs to do his work. So as we think about that, we know, we know that Satan is indeed strong in this world. This is his kingdom. This is his realm. This is his house, and it is a house of horrors. It's filled with every kind of vile and wickedness and evil and death. So how are Satan's victims, who are in his house, who he has control over, how are they to be saved? How are they to be taken out of his house and put back with their rightful owner? There's only one way. Someone stronger than the strong man, someone stronger than Satan must enter Satan's house, enter his domain, enter his realm, bind him, and take away his goods. And brothers and sisters, that's the work of Jesus for us. We were the ones living in Satan's house, in his domain. We were victims of, yes, our sins. And no one but Jesus could rescue us. No one but Jesus is more powerful than the strong man. It is Jesus who will destroy the influence of the strong man, Satan, on people's lives, on our lives, and who will restore us to our rightful family and rightful Heavenly Father and rightful kingdom. And so we ask, well, that sounds like good news. It is. How's that going to happen? Well, welcome to Holy Week. The way that that would happen, brothers and sisters, it's through Jesus willingly dying on the cross for your sins and three days later being gloriously resurrected from the dead, defeating sin, death, and Satan once and for all. That's how he does it. Through his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead, Jesus stormed Satan's house, overthrew him, and liberated his people. 
That's the good news of the gospel. That's, that's our very redemption. And so you see what Jesus is doing here with these scribes. He's, he's giving them a window on eternity, really. He's actually giving them a kind of a spiritual reality check. But their hearts were hard. So Jesus gives them a warning. It's a truthful warning, verses 28 through 30. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. These are weighty matters here. What does it really mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because if there's one thing we know, one thing that is clear from this text with demons and plundering and binding, if there's one thing that is clear, it's that if you commit that sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, there's no going back. There's no safe passage home. There is no forgiveness. So some of you here this morning may have a a tender conscience And you might hear this, and immediately you're thinking about the sins that you've committed. You're thinking about the past week in your life, maybe the last several months. Maybe at some point in the last year when you were struggling spiritually, where you were indifferent, maybe cold to the claims of Christ, where you were just fighting for faith, trying to survive, struggling to believe. And you wonder, was it at that point maybe that I committed this sin? I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Or perhaps you're here this morning... And you were struggling with with that particular sin. And you know it. You know you don't hate it as you ought to. And every time you succumb to it, you feel the guilt and you live with the shame of that. And you wonder if at some point, as a believer in Christ, will there be a time when you confess your sins before Christ and he says, no. No more. You've exhausted all of the grace and mercy that you once had. Brothers and sisters, the the answer to both of those questions is a resounding no. Because blaspheming the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not a prolonged season of doubting God or struggling with Him, nor is it even sinning boldly. And you can pick whatever it is you think is your worst sin that you've ever committed. Here, here's what it is: blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and I want you to understand this. It's a clear, continual, consistent repudiation of Christ and a repudiation of his work by those who should know better. Let me say that again. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is a clear, continual, consistent rejection of Christ. It's really a rejection of his saving work, a rejection of his work of redemption by people who actually should know better, by people who actually do and have heard the truth. So so to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to look at the anointed, the Spirit-anointed work of Christ, the Spirit-empowered work of Christ, and it's to say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the work of God in Christ. No, that's the work of a madman. That's the work of a devil. I don't want anything to do with that. So it's not the self-sufficient, arrogant woman on the street who's in danger of committing 
the unforgivable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's actually more the man or woman who's probably spent some time in church, who knows some bit of the Scriptures, who has probably heard the gospel, maybe repeatedly, has seen some of the miraculous working and the power of the gospel of grace and changed lives, and looks at that, rejects it all, and says, that's not the work of God, that's the work of the devil. And I don't want anything to do with that. It's calling light darkness and good evil, even when you know the truth. And so that's exactly what the the scribes were doing here in Mark chapter 3. They were clearly, continually, consistently defying Christ. And instead of giving God the glory for this king who would rescue them from their sins, they're looking at all the work of Christ and they're saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's Satan. That's the work of Satan. So understand, it's it's not a a blip on the radar screen here. This is not a just misguided beliefs. We all have those. This is not a lack of discernment on the part of the scribes. No, this was a deliberate, ongoing rejection of the work of Christ from some really smart religious people who should have known better. That's why every commentator I read this last week, and frankly, I think I read too many, but every commentator I read this last week says that this sin is is unforgivable because those who commit this sin never actually turn to Christ to be forgiven. So hear that, church. They, they never actually turn from their sins and trust in Christ. They continue to fight and are opposed to Jesus. They, they reject him. And so, yes, anyone who rejects Christ will die in their sins and they will be separated from Christ for all eternity. They will not spend eternity in heaven. They will die in their sins and spend eternity in hell. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not so much one act, one wrong move. It's not you looking back and thinking, man, did I do it here? Did I commit it there? I was really struggling here. It's not, so, it's not that as much as it is a settled disposition in your heart and will against Christ. It's a settledness in your heart that says everything in me is opposed to everything that Jesus stands for. So are there people alive today who have committed this sin? Yes. But I can say with a great deal of biblical confidence that if you are concerned, if you're kind of worried that maybe at some point in your life that you may have committed in a period of struggle against sin or, or, or suffering, that maybe, maybe I committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit there, you have not. That old adage is really true. Those who are worried, those who are anguished, those who wonder... They're wrestling with God whether or not I may have committed this unforgivable sin. Most certainly have not. Those who truly have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, they do not wrestle with God. They do not even wonder about this. They have made their choice. So it's very likely that anybody hearing the sound of my voice this morning, by virtue of the fact that you're at church, whether or not your parents drug you here this morning or whether or not you're just here for the donuts. But by the fact that you're here, 
You want to learn something of the gospel. You want to learn something about who this Jesus is. You're, 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 you got questions and you know that this is a place where you can ask those questions and where you can come up with answers by virtue of that. I don't think anybody here has committed that sin. But yet there's still a warning for us. We need to heed this warning. And it's this. When you find your heart growing cold or indifferent or perhaps apathetic to the claims of Christ, to the gospel of grace, to, to the tender mercies of Christ, when you, when you find just a growing coldness in your heart to God's people, to, to the things of God, what are you going to do about it? A heart of indifference or a cold heart does not mean that you have committed the unforgivable sin, no. But it should be an indication to you that you do not want to live one more day like that. You don't want to live this next week like this last week. Because a cold heart or an indifferent heart or an apathetic heart is a warning sign that you are in spiritual danger perhaps even more than you know. And you are in desperate need of the gospel that Jesus loves to give, the gospel that we delight in here, the gospel that he has won for you on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. So if perhaps that is you this morning, and I just described you, do everything you can do to stay close to Jesus, and to stay close, and to have your heart close to him. And let me just encourage you, you're here. That's good. That's a good first start. Do everything you can do to stay close to Jesus. And a good place to start is coming to church like this. It's continually rubbing shoulders with God's people because you cannot do this alone. You need them and they need you. We need each other. The Christian life is not a solitary life where we just all sort of do the best we can and hope it's good enough and we all end up in heaven. That is not a glorious vision of eternity. It's frightening, in fact. Because if your eternal destiny is up to you and if my eternal destiny is up to me, that's bad news. Stay close to Christ. So the real crisis here in scene two, church, the real crisis, it's for the vast majority of us, maybe all of us here in this room, the real crisis is that we know where to go for forgiveness of sins. We know who to turn to for a clear and clean conscience. But a lot of times we refuse. We know where, we know who to turn to for the forgiveness of sins. We know who, the one person that we can entrust our most prized possession to, that is our heart. The only one who can sort through all of the stuff, the mixed motives, the selfishness in our hearts, and yet we refuse to bend the knee to him. And instead of repenting of our sins quickly, maybe we ignore them, maybe we try to hide from them, maybe we just hope that our home group leader's not going to ask us this week. Maybe we sidestep, we evade. Or perhaps probably what is 
more the norm for all of us, we become managers of our sin. We, we try and manage it. How can I coexist with my sin? How can I still show up on church and still love the Lord but still dabble here or indulge here or just mail it in over here in this way? So we try to manage our sin. Some of you perhaps have been trying to manage your sin for years. That's crazy. That's crazy. Jesus didn't die on the cross to have you or me manage our sin. He died to set you free. He died to bring complete forgiveness, to declare you a saint by his grace. So you really want a reason, church, to celebrate this morning that actually has nothing to do with a physical building, per se, and certainly doesn't have anything to do with donuts, verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Let that land on your heart this morning. All sins will be forgiven, Jesus says. Whatever blasphemies, it's really blasphemies upon blasphemies, they utter. Literally, Jesus is saying here, to all those who belong to me, I will forgive all of your sins, past, present, and future. And he actually, there's the force there to what he's saying. Some of your trans, King James says, verily. It's an old word. It just means like, it's really, really true. Jesus is saying, you got to believe me. Take me at my word here. I'm not making this up. Believe me when I say all your sins will be forgiven. All your sins will be covered by my blood. That's good news. That is great news for sinners like us. Because we have a lot of sins, do we not? All of your sins are nailed to the cross. Past, present, and future. All those words that you wish you didn't speak, they were rude, they were ugly, they were angry, nailed to the cross. All the things that you haven't spoken, the thoughts nailed to the cross. Whatever it is that you think may be your worst sin, nailed to the cross. Your, your and my mountain of sins just this past week, buried in the avalanche of God's grace and mercy. That is not the work of a madman. Jesus is not out of his mind. Nor is he demonically bad, like his opponent said. Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant, the true king, the one sent by God to give you life, to die on the cross, to take all the wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sins and our waywardness. When you put your faith in him, you are declared righteous because you are then clothed with the righteousness of Christ himself, the perfection of Christ. That's a reason to celebrate. 
if you know that Jesus and you belong to that Jesus, that's a reason to live differently this next week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess, Lord, that our hearts can be hard towards you. In fact, pretty much every time we sin, we are reminded of that, that our hearts are not what we want them to be. Our hearts are not what you want them to be. And yet, you do not abandon us to our sins. You do not condemn us in our sins. But you are the God who who does not run out of grace, who does not run out of your steadfast love for your people. You never will. For that, we give you thanks. We give you praise. Lord, we don't want to live today, tomorrow, this week, as we did last week. So give us even more grace. Help us to know. Help us to know what changes you would be desiring that we make. Perhaps, Lord, it is maybe for the first time in a long time, honestly confessing our sins to you, repenting, not not just to you, but but then confessing it to another trusted brother or friend to, to walk with us in that. God, give us grace to know how to truly prepare our hearts and to walk in faithfulness to you this week. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Well, there's only one place for people like us to find hope, to find redemption for our sins, and that is in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. So as we think about communion this morning, we, we're not gathering here. We don't, we don't enter into communion. We don't celebrate communion because we're, we're kind of the best of the worst. We just sort of lucked out. We somehow stumbled around in the darkness and managed to find Jesus. That's not it at all. God in his kindness and grace sent Jesus and in his great steadfast love has given us grace, grace to believe, grace to be saved, grace to belong. And so communion is not a meal for moral people. This is a meal for the redeemed of God, all those who have put their faith in Christ. If that's not you this morning, we'd love to talk with you more about that. We'd love to talk with you more about how you can know Jesus personally. But please refrain from receiving communion. Uh, I invite you forward here. We've got, uh, we'll have the aisles come forward here. We've got wine and grape juice, bread and gluten-free cracker. Feel free to take that and then go back to your chair and you can eat and drink then. For center aisle folks here, you can come on out this way and then we have two stations here and you can avail yourself of either one. Let me pray, and then we'll participate. Father, thank you for the reminder of our great need. And now thank you for your provision in Jesus Christ, the true king, to meet us in our great need. Lord, may we never lose sight of our need for you and never lose sight of your grace to meet us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come forward.
gift of grace is Jesus my and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hope my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to him and oh how strange and divine I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. And through the deepest valley, He shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me no fate I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now endeavor glory evermore to him 
sorrows lamb of God by his own betrayed the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus
Amen. It's a joy to worship with you this Sunday, um, to hear good yet hard words, and also to be reminded just in the rhythms of the church that Jesus did indeed enter in, and he was humbled for our benefit. So even as we think of these things, just a quick reminder, this Friday we do have a Good Friday service, just to be reminded of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ upon us, all that he accomplished on our behalf. So this Friday at 6 p.m. right here, there's not going to be any child care or anything uh, available there, but it's going to be a fairly brief service. So we'd love you to all come, your kids come, your family come, and to par- participate that uh, with us together. And also this Sunday, an Easter service. And so that is indeed a good opportunity to invite others in with you to hear Uh, the richest part of our faith, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So do, um, please do come join us for those, celebrate with us in those ways. Now do hear these words from 1 John 
as a benediction as you head out. May you know that the Son of God has come and given you understanding so that you may know him who is true and that you are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Do go in peace.